photographs and memories. A travel market life series sponsored by Atomize. My memory maker today is Jean Quinn. Jean is probably best known, at least to those of us in the travel industry, as the co-founder and CEO of T-News, which he started in 2009 and sold in 2018. However, Jean started out as a sports journalist with the Chicago Tribune before pursuing a career in digital media with the Tribune and Viacom MTV Networks. In 2000, he created his own advisory and investment firm called Confluence Partners. Photographs and Memories. Welcome to Photographs and Memories. Thanks, Michael. Great to be here. Ordinarily, we begin the show by discussing the three photographs that are um, about our guests' travels and end by discussing the souvenir that they brought with them. However, today we're going to reverse the order because your souvenir reveals so much about your journey in the travel industry. So, Gene, please tell us about your souvenir. Well, uh, the photo that you're seeing or going to be seeing shortly is of uh, my dear friend and mentor, Philip Wolf, who passed away in an untimely fashion three weeks ago. Um, we're sitting on, each of us sitting on a rock, uh, sharing a glass of Johnny Walker scotch, having just completed a uh, shore journey from a echo cruise that we were taking with our spouses um, upon the closing of the sale of Focusrite, a company Philip founded, and a company which I invested and chaired for 12 years uh, with uh, Philip as the CEO and founder. Um, he, uh, he has a special place in my heart as a great personal friend, uh, but he also has a special place among many folks who are hovering, or hovering around this uh, session today as one of the first forecasters of what digital travel was going to be back before the World Wide Web as a commercial vehicle was even invented, and that was in the late 80s and early 90s. Um, Philip was my mentor in the business, and uh, the first time we had a business conversation is when he was in my office describing how uh, travel worked, how travel distribution and its technology platforms worked at that time. Only in about 1993 or 1994, before the World Wide Web had become a force that was going to overtake uh, digital communication and distribution of products. So I've dedicated my souvenir selection today to his memory. Um, we were traveling the Magellan Strait in Patagonia. Uh, we were taking day trips in uh, Zodiac uh, shore excursions to Penguin Islands, glaciers, hiking trails all over uh, the Chilean and uh, Argentine border, uh, ultimately culminating in a, in a journey to Cabo de Hornos, the tip of the Americas. And uh, it was the conclusion of a long 12-year journey that I had had with Philip and his wife, Carol Hutzelman, uh, through Focusrite. And I'm honoring him with uh, his baseball cap that uh, I shared uh, during that journey on and off. He's wearing it in the photo as well. So I thought it would be a good place to, to start, uh, and that's with uh, his passing and, and my uh, completed journey through the world of digital travel and online distribution of travel. 
So thank you, Philip, for being a friend. And uh, thank you guys for letting me share that moment. Fantastic. Thank you very much. We, we all remember Philip very fondly. I recall, Gene, once uh, you telling me that you became an entrepreneur at 50. Um, I think memory serves me correctly. Um, so tell me about that. And did Philip have anything to do with that, you becoming the entrepreneur at 50? Well, this is, if he were here, he might argue with this, but um, this is where he had something marginal to do with it. Because the context of that comment was, I've always been a serial corporate maverick. And that comes from the, the journalist in me. I mean, when you're a reporter, there are no unfair questions, there are only unfair answers. And it's the manner in which you ask them that get the great answers. And the manner in which you ask them improperly that give reporters and editors a bad name. Um, but it's a very good training for the corporate boardroom at the director level, but also for an entrepreneurship, because you see all of the relevant facts in the first paragraph, who, what, when, where, why, how, in venture capital, What's your product? How do you make money? Who's your customer? How are you going to scale it? I.e., what's the large uh, size of the addressable market? And what, well, how much capital do you need to get started? So there's a lot of parallels in entrepreneurship to being a maverick in whatever you do. And when I say a maverick, I don't mean a pointy-elbowed uh, jerk. I mean someone who isn't comfortable with sameness someone who requires innovation in order to make something more efficient or more desirable or more easy for customers. And that's a spark that I've had since I was a little kid. And it just came to me after jump, jumping into business uh, with a mid-career uh, MBA that my company uh, allowed me to pursue and uh, joining a digital travel uh, team in a, a Tribune company in the 90s when we were looking at uh, options to expand beyond publishing and broadcasting. So uh, that's when it started, but it wasn't till Philip and Fred Lalonde and Kevin May and I dreamed up this crazy idea called Travel Technology News with a funny name in 2009, because there really wasn't a journal of that, uh, of that type talking about travel technology. And uh, it's possible to become an entrepreneur at 80 or eight. I just read today that the highest grossing revenue uh, YouTube presenter is nine years old uh, in, in uh, 2021 uh, um, or 2020. This nine-year-old young man has made more money presenting on YouTube than any other presenter. So um, it starts early and can start late as it did with me. Fantastic. I've always remembered that comment and I've always felt I'm, I've just recently turned 50 and it's stuck with me. So it's it's great advice. And, and I take great comfort from the fact that uh, you shared that with me. Um, let's turn to your first photograph. Uh, in this photograph, you have a broad smile, uh, grinning and, and holding a trot next to a river. What does this photo mean to you? There's a bumper sticker. It reads, the worst day fishing beats the best day at work. And that's been my creed since I was a little kid. I've always loved the, the magic of fishing, baseball and fishing. Those are the two things that are top of my list. You know, my friend Philip, baseball was at the top of his list. And maybe number three on both other lists were martinis and oysters. So, you know, we have a lot in common, but 
there's something about the peace of mind that you get stepping into a stream in a space that's larger than you that is just relaxing. It's the best blood pressure medicine. It's a wonderful bumper sticker. But the experience of the outdoors and feeling something tug harder than you can tug back, you know, gives you an idea that, you know, mankind may be on top of the environment, but the environment is on top of mankind at the end of the day, especially if you fall in the water. <laughs> and I guess the bonus is it, it takes you to remarkable places. It, it is. The, the, the travel connection is in the year 2000, uh, when I left Viacom's MTV networks, I fished 200 days. And I didn't try to fish 200 days. I could have fished 300 days. But it was a short trip from my home in Connecticut to Long Island Sound and to some terrific trout fishing water in New York State. Uh, so it was just easy. Uh, I was taking a year off mid-career to decide how we wanted to position Confluence Partners. And you get some of your best thinking done uh, on a trout stream or standing waist deep in salt water fishing for big creatures. You've lived a, a long and rich life. Um, what is your proudest achievement? Well, you're going to get to a, a photo there of my proudest achievement at some point. Um, my, my oldest son, Brian, spent two years in the uh, U.S. Peace Corps in Malawi. And about midway through his tour there, he called up his mom, Susan, and me, and was just giving us our monthly report on um, how things were going. And he said, I have a big idea. I've run it by the chief of the village where I am in Malawi. And they're all in as a, as a community. Um, we'd like to build a school, and, and I'm going to project manage it. He, he, was, he was there as a volunteer for two years. And um, he's permitted to do all sorts of eleemosynary things, just no political or religious advocacy. So this kind of advocacy we jumped on, and we passed the head around friends and family, including at some, you know, dinner tables that some of my travel and media and financial technology friends and I share from time to time in some think tank, tank salon sessions. And we raised, you know, five, $6,000, which was all it took to outfit a, uh, um, a school in Malawi that was produced by the, the villagers construction of mud brick uh, uh, building materials. And our, Finances went to the roof and the concrete footing uh, that it rests on. And the government of Malawi uh, provided a, uh, a paid teacher to go and teach in this two-room schoolhouse, which is still standing today. So that was in 2004, 2005. And uh, it involved travel. We, uh, Susan and I went over to visit uh, the opening ceremony of the school, uh, toured the magnificent shoreline of Lake Malawi, the third largest lake in, on planet Earth. Uh, and uh, <clears throat> it was a richly rewarding experience that had travel, but uh, uh, entrepreneurship all over, the entrepreneurship of our son. So that is one of my favorite life moments, one of my favorite travel moments, and certainly the most meaningful moment that we could have done uh, in um, give, giving something back to the world of sustainable travel. Were you able to spend some time in Malawi when you were there? Were you able we to explore did. the country yeah, as well? We, we did. We spent three or four days uh, in in the village at a at a lodge in you know a lodge at, at a humble uh, lodge nearby, uh, and then we did tour uh, uh, 
So uh, Lalongwe, uh, uh, or Lawande uh, National Park, which was a glorious game preserve with, you know, lions and elephants and baboons and uh, all of the flora and fauna that you can imagine. So it was fantastic. Your curriculum, Vitae, reads like a, a novel. It's so rich and interesting, and you've done so many, many wonderful things. Do you have any regrets? Is there anything in, that, that you th wish you could have done differently? I had to cancel my, my only intended visit to New Zealand to go fly fishing because of some events that just overtook the schedule. And I've always wanted to go to New Zealand. So, uh, and so is my wife, who is a photographer and would would love to uh, photograph those landscapes. So, um, that's a travel regret. Uh, I can't imagine there are many other life regrets. I'm married forty seven years to the same person, and uh, four grandchildren, three wonderful children, uh, terrific friends in three different industries journalism, entertainment, financial services, and travel. I guess you can call it four different industries. And um, except for that location, which I'll get to at some point, uh, not too many regrets. You're clearly an outdoors guy. You love the outdoors. Um, a lot of what you've spoken about is in, in relation to the outdoors. And your third photograph is you standing at the the foot of a mountain range. T tell me about that one. Well, that, that actually is related back to uh, the honorific of focus right that uh, you've kindly allowed me to pursue here. Um, when we uh, when we sold uh, focus right to North Star Travel Media, which by the way has been a very uh, accretive deal since that happened in 2011, and we've heard many times from Tom Kemp and Bob Sullivan over at North Star how how happy they are to, to have focus right in the family. Um, Philip and I decided that we should have a bucket list celebration of that hard work that the team had put together. And we put aside some of our uh, hard earned winnings there. And he gave me the, the honor of picking the location. And the location was Patagonia because I had always wanted to see Cape Horn, Cabo de Hornos which was um, you know, the, the site of one of mo the most difficult passages uh, by naval ship in the 1500s, 1600s, 1700s, given the, what, the exploration of the Americas by European explorers. And I, as a kid, I grew up admiring two groups of entrepreneurs. Uh, at the time, I called them explorers because that's what they were called. One was the Mercury astronauts who you know, went up in space when it was a bomb that might go off, you know, under their ass. And uh, the explorers who sailed west, when they weren't quite sure that the world wasn't flat, they were believing people because they weren't educated enough at the time to know it was round. And the, the, one of the most difficult parts of that passage and, uh, was getting around the Cape Horn. So Philip says, let's go see it. So that's what we did. We did a two-week echo tour of Chile and Argentina, which included uh, Penguin Islands, uh, uh, a walk uh, up the ramp to the Albatross Memorial at Cape Horn at the tip of the Americas. And then we uh, journeyed to uh, El Calfate and did a hike around the base of Mount Fitzroy, named after 
I believe Fitzroy was the navigator of the Beagle for the uh, for which the uh, strait was named Darwin's ship. Um, and I always wanted to see that. We saw from the plane flying into Punta Arenas, Santiago, but we wanted to walk around it. We were no way we were going to scale it. I lost three toenails on the trip. And uh, that was because I didn't follow Philip and Carol's advice to use walking poles, ski poles for hikers. Uh, and my wife and I, uh, you know, had to navigate the trail just with two feet rather than four feet. Um, so it has a lot of memory. And, and just gazing up at that was, I was thinking of my, uh, my early childhood where I loved to read about explorers and uh, including those European explorers who discovered that part of the world. Fantastic. Other than New Zealand, is there any other place in the world that you want to visit that haven't managed to do so yet? Well, it's sort of kind of related to fishing. You know, people often ask fishermen, what's your favorite spot to fish? And people, you know, jump at this river or that ocean or whatever. I have two places and it's a somewhat rehearsed answer because I'm asking it myself. Um, my two favorite places to fish are the Henry's Fork of the Snake River and the fish I'm holding in that previous photograph has come from that river. It's just outside of Yellowstone Park and one of the most beautiful uh, rivers in the lower 48 states of the United States. But the second answer is my most favorite place to fish is the place I have yet to fish and want to go next. So to me, that's the ultimate explorer's answer. You know, don't, don't pick one favorite place. Pick one you don't know and go learn. Wonderful. Thank you very much, Gene. We're nearly out of time. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Uh, thank you for sharing your photographs and memories. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thanks, Gene. Photographs and Memories, sponsored by Atomize, produced by Haynes Marcoms as a Travel Market Life series. For more, visit travelmarket.life.